Thank you for joining us on this episode of Eminent Teachnology with Dr. Rochelle Newton and Drew Stennett, where we examine current and emerging technologies through the lens of diversity and equality. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to a new episode of Eminent Teachnology with Dr. Rochelle Newton and Drew Stennett. Uh, today, we are going to do a deep dive into some AI technology around speech to text that our uh, wonderful friend and friend of the podcast, Dan Cantrell, showed us about uh, recently. So I am excited to deep dive into several uh, practical use cases for AI. So, Rochelle, we came, we ran into a problem where we're trying to promote this podcast more. And one of the suggestions that Dan had was to like put a transcript in the podcast. So we record, uh, we're all audio, but the stuff we say isn't really searchable because there's no real like audio search engine. So what a lot of podcasts do is they just put a transcription, which is just everything that they said in their podcast, uh, and they attach it to the podcast, which I will say in theory sounds awesome. Uh, in practice, uh, that's not something that uh, I think either of us really have time to do as listening to a podcast and then transcribing everything in it and, you know, typing it all up. Like it's, uh, it's a lot of work, right? Like that's at least an additional half hour, 45 minutes uh, of production for this, which is sort of hard. So uh, what Dan showed us and what we're going to talk about today is uh, he has using some free technologies out on the internet, he was able to put together a, uh, it's called a Jupyter Notebook, which we'll go into in a minute, but it's more or less a website that you can go to, run some code and have it generate a, a, transcri a transcription of your podcast or really any, any audio file you want to do. So today we're going to jump into those pieces and just sort of talk to folks about them. And hopefully our listeners will have a use for it or at least learn something new, which uh, almost all of these technologies were new to me. So I'm excited to dive in. New to me too, Drew. I will tell you, uh, I said this earlier, my wonderful Dan um, is brilliant. Oh, <laughs> That's yeah. all that you said. He's just brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. So first technology we hit that was completely new to us is a service called Kaggle, K-A-G-G-L-E. And it is a really interesting service for uh, data analysts. It's a free service. It's I believe it's actually run by Google, even though they're not under the Google domain. But I think Google bought them at some point, probably to mine the information out. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it's a web service you can go to. Anybody can sign up uh, for no cost. And one of the cool things I thought they had in there, which is not really related to our transcription practice, but they have a ton of data sets that other folks have already generated uh, that you can then uh, use for your own analysis. So there were, I think there were some podcast transcripts in there already, uh, lots of just data-y things like census data and other free, other data that is publicly available. And Anybody can put their own data set out there and uh, make it available for other folks to use to look at stuff, which I thought was very cool and not something that I had ever experienced before. Yeah. And and I mean, like, there's a lot of references to Kaggle and GitHub uh, and how that is and how you can run uh, programs or run code through it. 
Um, but I will say, you know, both of them are dense to me, um, not my area of expertise, but I have learned, at least using Kaggle, you know, one, one of the interesting things I learned about Kaggle, it's like, so you're, you go to a website, you go to www.kaggle.com, you go to the website and you get in. And let's just say you want to run a program or you want to do something. There is a setting in Kaggle that turns the internet on. Yeah. Why? Why would they leave that out? So if you wanted to do something that made a call to something outside of Kaggle, it wouldn't work. And there's no clear thing that says turn the internet on. Yes. That was my, my, my most interesting lesson about Kaggle. Uh, so I also learned that lesson uh, harshly and quickly. <laughs> Because uh, I think when I was doing it, like we were running it on Dan's notebook and Dan's notebook ran perfectly, like top to bottom. I was like, okay, that's great. So the first thing I did was copy Dan's notebook into my workspace so I can make some changes. And I immediately got like a DNS error. And it's like, DNS? Like, but why'd there be a DNS error? The DNS hasn't changed between our notebooks. Uh, right. And then researched and saw that, yeah, you have to enable the internet for your Kaggle notebook and it's not easy to find where to go do that yes and also um, the kaggle web interface while i do i think i like it overall it is not super user intuitive for really anything but especially getting that internet turned on right and i and i think that you can tell it's like more like a beta product than it is a full-fledged active everybody should go use it because yeah. there are lots of kinks in it you know, syntax is very important in it, you know, knowing where to put a quote or a comma or something, all of that's really, really important. And so like if you are R, you program in R or some of the other uh, languages out there, you know, they have very strict rules about syntax and where things could be and can't be, you know, lowercase versus uppercase, you know, symbols and, you know, I, I have come to enjoy Kaggle. You know, I'm now, I get an email almost every day asking me to join some Kaggle competition. I don't even know what that <laughs> means, but I'd be the wrong person for that. But Drew, you might want to join one of them. <laughs> but I think the interesting thing about these things is as these new tools come to market, specifically wrapped around things like artificial intelligence and automation, they bring a lot to the table. The problem is, is they're not for novice. Mm -hmm. And I found that out the hard way. They're not for people who have not used an interface like this. They're not for people who are ha don't have experience with this, like using syntax. Like, uh, you know, I've said this on this podcast a gazillion times, COBOL, Fortran, Assembler, I got you. You know, a little bit of C, a little bit of Python, but that's it. You know, like I can make Python say hello. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's what this is, is when we're using Kaggle, it's Python under the covers, but it's presented through a technology, which I also think is cool that I've not used before, which is called uh, Jupyter Labs Notebooks. Yep. And what I think those are really cool for, and I'd heard a lot about Jupyter Labs Notebooks, but I never like actually used one personally until today or a couple of weeks ago when we were working through that with Dan. But so I'd use Python, I've used Python for like over 20 years. Like I'm very familiar with Python, but usually when I run a Python. I have a script, which is, you know, say a hundred lines of stuff. I run it and then it does top to bottom, right? Like it just goes through the script, runs everything. What Jupyter adds is the ability to like, instead of having a single script with all of your logic in there that you have to run, you know, all at once, you can create little stanzas of Python code and run them in really whatever order you want to. Like for the most part, you're going to run from top to bottom, but there may be instances where uh, you change a piece of a function and want to reload that, and then you want to jump down to the uh, 
the very last step and run that with the new function. And Jupyter Labs is a really nice way, uh, or Jupyter Notebooks is a really nice way of letting you do that. You can have these totally independent code snippets and then sort of glue them all together into uh, one solid, uh, it's not exactly a script, but it behaves very similar to a Python script. So, and again, all credit to Dan on this. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, finish your sentence. I, I was just going to say all credit to Dan on this for figuring all of these pieces out, but we were able to glue several pieces together using uh, Python to end up generating this uh, transcript of the podcast. Yeah, and I think that the other piece, I don't know whether you experienced that part, but the Whisper AI you know, mm -hmm. I think that was a, another interesting tool because it does something on its own to generate some of the actions in Kaggle, you know, and, you know, I, I read something a while back about Whisper AI, but I didn't really pay any attention to it. But really, it's an interesting interface as well. I mean, I think that it brings a lot to that link. Up. Like, so we talk about this a little bit, but, you know, data calls, right? So you write, you write a script that's going to call something else. You write a script that's going to do something else. And it's really interesting to see that interface between Kaggle and Whisper AI. Yes, yes, absolutely. And the Whisper AI, that's the piece of technology I wanted to talk about next, is that it was, it was developed by uh, OpenAI. And they're the folks that created ChatGPT. So when Dan was telling us about it, I was like, well, we probably have to have like an API key to talk back to OpenAI which they do give out free API keys, but I don't think those provide enough usage to like do a full podcast transcription. So I was a little skeptical uh, until he pointed out that what they're really doing is they're just providing a library to do the transcription. So we aren't having to send our podcast to the OpenAI API endpoints. We can keep it all within this like one Kaggle interface. And we do end up downloading some... Uh, language models to like i guess assist in the uh the transcription but we're actually doing the compute inside of kaggle uh which i thought was very cool and they had like a number there are a number of different models i think we use the default one which is uh about medium in size and probably has about medium accuracy but there are options to use larger models with uh, that would probably be slower, but may have better accuracy, which uh, I also thought was interesting. <laughs> but it's just a Python module. Anybody can install and run, and it will do a transcription of your uh, your audio file, whether it's on your computer, in the cloud, wherever. And I thought that was very cool and something that I was not expecting to be freely available. Yeah, I think the important part of that, to go back and say it again, is the syntax. So like when, when I did the one to do the transcription for, um, I forgot which one I did, but like um, exactly. So I copied the um, URL from our podcast into mm -hmm. the program. And like, I thought I was going to be smart and just take Dan's out and put mine in. Probably about for five or six runs, I had syntax errors, right? Because I mm -hmm. used the entire length of the podcast, you know, not a tiny URL, but the whole thing. Oh, yeah. And the question mark or the comma, whatever it is on the end of our, the podcast URL, the space and the comma, all that has to be exactly correct. I mean, so what I want to say about this, and, you know, I, I defer to you and Dan in terms of your expertise, both of you are good at writing code and stuff. 
this is not for people who have no experience with programming or coding or because one there's between all the interfaces out there much of the syntax is the same right so you know quotes and commas and and underscores are the same but they all have a small little bit of differences between them it's not exactly so you can't use what you use in r and could put that in kaggle or whisper you've got to use their syntax Mm -hmm. so as i often say about these things you know for everyday people I would say, go find yourself an introduction to data analysis, just a real basic thing to learn how these things work. So what is a function? What is a call? What is a, you know, how do you write this? Do you know what a vector, what's the difference between a vector and a variable? You know, all of these things that, you know, and I barely know it because I'm I'm digging for my past. I, I, I don't have any recent experience with this. And even with my limited past knowledge bringing into the forefront, you need to have a basic understanding of what you're doing before you would jump into this. So, you know, you could, and you could certainly experiment. There's the, the programs allow you to experiment. You make errors. Sometimes you have to decode what those errors are because they aren't just straight, right? You should have had a comma here. It may say syntax error, something, something, something. You, you need to have at least a basic understanding of what you're doing. But what was really so amazing, again, going back to my uh, lack of understanding <laughs> I was able to do it after a while. It just takes time and you have to be aware and look at what the reports or the logs are telling you. If you just keep going, you're going to keep repeating the same errors I did twice. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I think like there's a lot of technology that can fix that, but it's not quite glued in here. Like, so for Kaggle specifically, we're editing the Jupyter Labs notebooks inside of their interface. Uh, under the covers, a Jupyter Lab notebook is just a giant text file. Uh, it's really JSON data. JSON is just a serialized stream of data. So it'll be a list of things or a hash of things or combinations. So it's pretty much just like a giant configuration file defining what your Jupyter Labs notebook should look like. And if we were to open that on a... so. When I started playing with it, I was just trying to create new Jupyter, Jupyter Lab notebooks using a tool called VS Code, which is a free tool from, I believe it's Microsoft. I hate to say they made a good tool, but maybe they bought it from somebody. But it's a it's a very good uh, IDE or code editing tool, and it's free. So and, you tell us what IDE stands for and tell us what JSON stands for. Yes. So IDE stands for Integrated Development Environment, which is it's pretty much a way to nicely edit code on your computer. Uh, all code is just a text file under the covers. All source code is. However, uh, having good visualizations of that plain text is important. So if you if you want to create a Python script in Notepad, you can absolutely create a Python script in Notepad. I would not recommend it because it is going to be really hard to troubleshoot. So instead of using Notepad, say you've got a simple, you know, hello world script. You put that into Notepad, you're going to see exactly that. You're going to see print hello world all in black and white. You can run it, it'll be fine. If you were to open that same script up in really any IDE, but I'll specifically talk about uh, VS Code, uh, you're going to see syntax highlighting. It's going to know that the script is a Python script, so it's going to detect that, and it's going to warn you if you're not following Python best practices. 
Or if the if it's going to be un, unrunnable, like if it has a syntax error, you're going to see a nice visual representation of that inside of your IDE. And you're not going to see that if you just open a piece of code in a plain text editor like Notepad. So like, yes, it is the exact same code underneath, but an IDE gives you many more visual representations of when something is going wrong because the I means integrated. So it's very like well aware of what programming language you're working in. And I feel like Kaggle, while it does have a bit of IDE in it, it's not a full-fledged IDE. It's in many ways a lot closer to Notepad than VS Code. Yeah. Uh, but the other acronym, JSON, which I believe stands for JavaScript Serialized. Uh, I'm gonna have to look it up real fast. JavaScript serialized. Ah, here we go. JavaScript object notation. So J S O N, JavaScript object notation. Uh, that's a funny word because it goes far beyond JavaScript now. And in fact, I don't think I've ever used it in JavaScript, but that's probably where it originated was just an easy way to do this object notation on data. So, Is that so my experience with Jason is just that July, August, September, October, and November. That's <laughs> what so uh, that works that as well. Java took the A out, you know, when it came. But I mean, I do think that these acronyms, you know, and so Jason, where I spelled it, used to be in code. You used to mm -hmm. put in Jason and get a fix. So if you were looking for, for say, you were looking for sales during those months, you know, that code was a valid. Um, what do you call it? It's not a function. It's a, I can't think of the word, but whatever it is. The fact that we do so much with acronyms, you know, and sometimes acronyms are reused, you know, sometimes acronyms mm -hmm. are, you know, have different functions based on different programming. So I think it's really important. I, I go back and stress it again. A Python class, a C class, you know, R class, you know, anything that helps you get a conceptual understanding of the tool that you're using. Cackle is pretty user friendly. You know, as, as Drew said, you know, anybody can have an account. You have to remember to turn the internet off. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But also there is a large community of Kagglers, right? There's a huge group of people out there doing things with it. And so if you are new and your boss says, hey, I want you to find out how many books we sold in this amount of time based on this price point in this region, People in Kaggle are doing that kind of work all the time. So there's research and you can ask questions, which I think is very interesting. The, the question is, is like, so some of the things that you mentioned, the VS code, Jason, all these things, like once you become aware of these things, you get some understanding under your belt. These things will come in slowly over time. But I think you should also, I, I have this, I still have it today. I have a book of acronyms. Every acronym I've ever used, I write it down and put it in a notebook. I'm a pencil and paper. I haven't got to the digital part yet. But I think that that's really important to know about these acronyms and what they do and what they don't do. You know, people talk about Python like it's just, you know, plain text. You can do anything in Python. That's not true. You need to have some understanding of how that works. Now, oh, yeah. we'll see PowerShell is a little more friendly if you're doing just basic coding. Mm -hmm. No, I, I totally agree there. PowerShell, PowerShell is a, uh, so it was developed by Microsoft to be their sort of next generation scripting language. And they, oh, I'm trying to think of when that came out. It was 
early 2000s, maybe before 2010 or 2005-ish. It's, it's been a minute. It's been yeah. out. Like yeah, but it hasn't been out as long as Python or a lot of those other scripting languages. And the benefit of that is that Microsoft was able to take a lot of the lessons learned from uh, older languages like Python, Ruby, Bash, and uh, build on them and sort of take out the bad stuff. So they were able to make a really nice scripting language uh, using concepts uh, that the community had used in all of these other languages. Uh, they were able to just sort of make a really nice portable way to do that uh, themselves. And it really took off. I think PowerShell is still a huge piece for like most Windows systems. And a lot of... Uh, People that work exclusively in Microsoft still use PowerShell for a lot of stuff because it works great. Uh, you can even run PowerShell on Linux nowadays, and I think Mac OS will run it as well. And uh, I have used it on both; it works pretty well. I don't, I didn't really have a ton of complaints about it. Like it's, it's nice. It's entry level, though. It's at the beginning of the scripting things. You know, it's it's at the very bottom because it's not complex. You can do a lot of stuff in it, but like if you want to go collect some data, pull something. You you can do that in PowerShell. But there are the things that Python provides, I would say C++, however many Cs, is pluses has got behind the C now. But I think yeah. those things work really well compared to PowerShell. But if you're at the beginning of your career, spend some time with PowerShell because it will give you at least a conceptual knowledge of how to move to the next, uh, next interface. Yes, yes, absolutely. So... Also, while working with the so using just Whisper and Kaggle, we were able to make a really nice uh, transcript. Well, it was a it was a transcript of just the words, right? So it says every word that we said with surprisingly good accuracy. It didn't. It was not one hundred percent accurate, but it was much more accurate than I was expecting. Uh, and it works great. It does it pretty fast. I don't know what did it take like two or three minutes maybe to generate that. Uh, it take. I mean, the one that I did, it took about like I went downstairs. Dan sent me a text. Has it finished yet? I came back up, still, still running. So, okay. but it wasn't very long at all. I mean, and it's it's a block of text, you know. And I would say if you're using it for transcription purposes, go through it and make sure you take out all the words that you stumbled on, like I do, or words you misspoke or whatever. Yes. And you know, and and while that may not come across as identical to the podcast. It's really, really a good source to find out what was said because for people like me that are hard of hearing and slow of listening, <laughs> this is a great tool. Yes, yes. So one thing, and I hadn't mentioned this yet to you, Rochelle, because it's not totally done yet, but I've been trying to make it, there are also some libraries that will split the speakers apart. So what I would love, and I'm trying to make it and have not succeeded yet for reasons that I will share momentarily, is instead of just having a stream of all the words we said, have a stream of, you know, Drew said this, then Rochelle said this, then Drew said this, then Rochelle said this, and follow that. So there's another library called Whisper X, which will do that. Uh, however, because it's doing more work, it needs to use more CPU cycles. So I was not able to get it to finish within the however long these Kaggle things live. But one other thing that Kaggle provides, which I was sort of surprised about, is they will give you, uh, instead of just getting normal CPUs, which are CPUs are the things that do the actual math or actual calculations on any script you're running, uh, you can also get GPUs, which are graphical processing units, 
and in general for AI related things, because it uses such uh, specific types of math, GPUs tend to perform better than CPUs because it can do people making those games, one of those graphics, they needed to do a lot of math to support those graphics. And the work that the gaming community did or the gaming chip designers who were making these GPUs, uh, people soon found out, hey, this isn't just good for graphics. This can also be good for AI. So uh, using the GPUs that they provide, I was able to get it a little bit faster, but I'm still running out of memory while trying to do like a full length podcast. So it's it's not quite there, but I think with some tweaks, we'll have a really easy way of having instead of just a stream of words, have the actual dialogue print out. And I was, it does, I had to use some like smaller samples to test with, but it does a pretty good job of guessing like who's actually talking through the thing. And I was, uh, I was pleasantly surprised about that. And it also uses all local processing. It's not having to send to a third party API service uh, like most of the AI things do. So I, I was happy to see that. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I think that, and again, I'm going back to just thinking about people coming into this from the beginning, you know, there's a lot here to unpack, you know, it's not, you know, Drew is, is sailing through it, he makes it seem like you just press a button and all of a sudden you have Trent, it's not that at all, you know, it is work, so what he just said, you know, getting these GPUs to do what we're trying to do in, in Whisper, you know, it's interesting to see how that happens. One of the things that Dan mentioned was chapter markers, right? So all every time you want to change or do a function, you need to have certain level of knowledge to do that, right? So what is a chapter marker? It is exactly what it says. So like what Drew just said, you know, what Rochelle said, what Drew said, and so forth, like those could be chapter markers. You, mm -hmm. know, it, you know, it's just a designation that separates something from another. But that said, you know, this is, I'm very smart. You know, I might be slow and old. I'm very smart. This was hard for me to master. Oh, yeah. I came at it with no prior experience in this thing. You know, I've been dabbling with chat GPT, but for the most part, you know, like you, Drew and Dan, you guys work with this stuff all the time. You're always doing things, you know, like, you know, what you're doing in GitHub, what you're doing in this, what you're doing there. You guys work with this. So, so to move from, say, GitHub to Kaggle to, you know, our or whatever it is, it's not a hard transition for you because you have the foundational knowledge, right? And you have some experience with, you know, things that are like this. Yeah. If you are coming at this again, I say, you know, while you listen to this podcast and it's all interesting, it sounds wonderful. It's not simple. Yeah. Yes. Yes, uh, absolutely. And like I say, like, it's funny because like saying it now, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. It's all, you just sort of pull it together. But in reality, like I had to sit there and like, bake with it for a little while right like it was not a uh, no piece of it was incredibly obvious it was a go step by step like number one what is kaggle <laughs> number two what is it using under the notebooks number three how do i like navigate it all around and like saying all of those steps sounds pretty straightforward but each step took uh time like between an hour to two hours to more to sort of get uh, a solid understanding of it and uh I, I do think it'll save time in the long run, especially if we can do things like uh, what I really look forward to is doing more deep analysis on the podcast. Because once we have the text, I mean, that's more or less the soul of our podcast in a machine readable format. And I'm excited to see if we could use uh, some of the other AI tools to 
to help the podcast, right? Like which pieces does AI think is interesting? What's the AI summary of our podcast? Uh, what does the, what does AI think that we should have talked about in the podcast that we didn't? Like all of those things seem very, I don't know that they will, I don't think they'll all be like worthwhile to a, I just, I don't think they'll all be worthwhile, but I'm excited to find out. I think one of the interesting pieces is pulling out keywords and then putting it in something like social media or Mm -hmm. Google Analytics, which I understand is going away. It's going to be called something else. (laughs) But to actually use it in a way that allows people to find content that they find useful. And, you know, you probably all have assessed this, you know, Drew is the brains of the operation, right? Drew knows how to do all the things in the background and make it work. But, you know, I'm always concerned about people who are coming to these things with limited or not very much experience. And so I always talk about be prepared for this, you know, and 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 I, I've always said failing is absolutely necessary to succeed. So, you know, if you write a script and try to run it through Kaggle and Whisper AI, it's probably not going to work the first time, yeah. but you learn from that, right? You learn from those things. I can't tell you, it took Drew and I, a, I mean, Dan and I, a day to find out how to turn the internet function on. It was not obvious, you know, so... Yeah. You know, go at this thing, you know, as a learning experience, fail a lot, but learn as you fail. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, uh, it's funny you mentioned that because a lot of times when we have like, uh, when people come to me with problems and I'll look through a log and they'll say like, oh, well, you know, uh, here's the one failure. It's like, oh, that only failed once. Like you got to fail like 20 more times before, <laughs> before you get to the hard part. Like failing is, is built into a lot of these and failing often is, 100% part of the learning process. Right. I, when we were running the script, you know, Dan left me alone and said, go do it and do it to another one. It failed the first time. Failed. I mean, I can't tell you how many times it was. It wasn't more than 10. I will say that. But like little things, so you fix this and something else is wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you fix this and stuff. And like going through that process is absolutely necessary. But at the same time, it's time consuming. So if you have something you have to write today, Call Drew. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Because like that time, like the time is the hard part too, right? We've we've all got a limited out amount of hours in the day, and uh, there's only so often you can fail as well <laughs> before those hours are done. Right. I, I would just say, as we come to the conclusion of this podcast, Kaggle and Whisper AI are great tools. Find out more about them. You know, learn about these tools and how you know. Like if you're at home and you want to be the next Microsoft or be the next whomever, like Zoom. Think about the people who created Zoom, right? So this started out as an experiment and look at what it's manifested itself to be. So if you're at home and you you want to find create the next thing, experiment. And so many of these things are free. That's yeah. amazing. So anything that falls in the open source uh, category, mostly are free. Some of them have small ones, have proprietary things, but for the most part, they're free. Experiment and learn. And again, I say call Drew. Yes, yes, absolutely. I'd love to collaborate on some Kaggle stuff now that I know what it is. (laughs) So uh, thank you, everybody, for uh, listening. I think this was a fun one, if not uh, super technical. I hope it was not too confusing for folks. But uh, if you have questions, feel free to send us an email, imminentteachnology at gmail.com. And we would love to hear from you. And we will talk to you all next week.